This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Who are you? Bond. James Bond. Oh, Draco? Yes, who is it? Bond. James Bond. Thank God, James. Good evening. My name is Bond. James Bond. Who are you? Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. Welcome once more to the Really 007 podcast, where we will be discussing the best Bond debuts of the James Bond franchise. We're counting the six actors in the Eon productions, all the way from Dot to No to Casino Royale. So we've got six amazing films to discuss and six amazing performances to discuss. You can listen in on iTunes and Spotify. We've got our own website at Pod Dojo, where you can click on all the links for not just our podcast, but there's For Your Reconsideration. There's the Blood Brothers Crime Writers podcast. There is the tapes, Chris Goldie's one for the uncanny. And there is Behind the Stunts with John Orty. So there's plenty to keep you entertained there. Please keep sharing our episodes and the other guys' episodes and posts. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, all of us. And please join in. The people here tonight we found through social media. So it's a great way of interacting and it's a great way of joining in on the podcast itself. I'm going to give a shout-out to another huge Bond fan from Germany tonight. There's been a few prominent ones already, such as Nikolai Quack, who's been on a couple of our episodes so far. But there is a new a new voice, a new name, Siamese Vodka. <laughs> now, I don't, I, I don't know what this chap's name is. Or it could be a lady, for all we know. We don't know yet. We haven't asked that question yet, but thank you for your support. Please, when you hear this, we would love to know your real name. You've been a great addition to the Bond Twitter community, and give that account a follow if, if you're on Twitter. So yes, if I didn't introduce myself, I'm Tom, and with me tonight, we've got one returning guest, and we've got a brand new one. So first of all, Sam has joined us for a few episodes now, and outside of that, we were fortunate enough to share most of Bond on the big screen together, weren't we, in 2022. 
So it's uh, it's great to reunite with you, Sam. But we've also got Charlie Marsh. Now, he's uh, been a long-time admirer of the show, and he's been a great voice on Instagram and a very positive voice indeed. To tie in with the theme of tonight, it's his debut as well. So good evening to both of you. Good evening. Good evening. So, Sam, yes, since the Bond on the big screen ended, mm-hmm. have you been watching the Bonds at all or maybe not quite as regularly? Honestly, I feel like the past few months since that ended, I've since the anniversary stuff finished, since Cue the Music, basically, their final concert yeah. in London, I've pretty much kind of stepped out of it. Not not even purposefully. It's more just, you know, this busy time of year when it gets to, you know, winter and stuff and you've got, you know, all these new releases and things coming out. And, you know, I've been doing some other projects and things. So I've really like been non-bond focused which has been a nice break because it has been a very intense i think since the pandemic started it's been a real intense almost three years now of uh, just bond 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 so it's nice to have a break but you know i'm i have watched a couple of bonds since i watched i've just started my uh, new thing of watching on a secret service on christmas day which i did oh, for the, for the right. second or third time this christmas just gone so i did that and I did a Twitter poll um, at the end of December being like, or at the beginning of January, seeing which Bond film should I watch. And I just chose four that I was like, I'd be happy to watch any. Yeah. And the winner was You Only Live Twice. So, sure. oh, you so love I've, that one, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Top 10. It's in my top 10. Underrated as hell. Related to Siamese Vodka. So, yeah, very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that but yeah, those are the only things that I've really watched recently. But you know, we were really fortunate to watch all the bonds on the big screen. I managed to see all of them. I was I can't believe I re- like I recorded that many audios last year for, <laughs> for really devoted seminars on it. Like every single one is insane. And then of course the 60th anniversary stuff with the events at the BFI, then the Royal Albert Hall, and then cue the music. So it was a real intense September and October, intense summer. So yes, yeah, so it's perhaps been a good break, but I'm excited to talk. Bond again for the first time in a little bit today. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned there the Bond on the big screen. I, I'm so sorry, Charlie. I re- now, Charlie's from America, aren't you? And for some reason, they didn't do it there. Do you know, do you know why? No, no. But I really I really envy you all the opportunity to have seen them all in the theaters. Yeah, uh, the, yeah there, was, there was really nothing except the largest corn maze in the world, which we visited, which had a James Bond theme. <laughs> I saw on your Instagram, you did do some stuff. <laughs> Yeah, there was some kind of Bond 60th anniversary something that you've done. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it was mostly, um, it was probably mostly stuff that we would have just done anyway. Uh, I, I participated in David and Anthony's Roger Morathon for UNICEF. Yes, um, yes, of course you did. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, although I have to confess, I overindulged in the cocktails and <laughs> I Love Me and Moonraker pretty much... I don't remember them even being well, on. So, yeah. But, that's uh, a great effort. And that event was amazing. I, I was with my wife in the Cotswolds, and we were sort of intermittently dipping in and out whilst trying to please Jennifer. But then we did a we did a live interaction with David and Anthony while they were there. So that was weird. And I was in a hotel, a re- really quiet hotel bar, just talking about Bond to them. About, but it was all making cocktails. Because I think they had like a – they'd finished A View to a Kill, and then it was like, oh, right. Let's do some cocktails. It was just it was just getting out of hand. I loved on Instagram, Charlie, how you put a little picture for each one and you put a little bit of memorabilia, didn't you, next to the screen and the cocktail next to it. I love that. 
Yeah, thank you. Thanks very much. Yeah, I had fun sort of setting those up. I don't think I did one for Moonraker. I think I was kind of slumped in a corner by, by that time. But I started to dry out during Octopussy and managed to post something for that one and View to a Kill. So for the most part, a very memorable occasion, what I can remember of it. And I know it's going to be Pierce next. Yes. 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 And unfortunately, I can't participate this time because my uh, my niece is is has the temerity to schedule her wedding for that. <laughs> so the audacity! People are so selfish. Oh, and, and uh, congratulations to uh, to Math and to Betty. Yeah, thank you for that, Charlie. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. I'll pass it on to him. Yeah. What's your Instagram name again, just so people can find you, Charlie? Oh, good heavens. I think it's Charloid0926. Is that what I am? I know it's Charloid, but I can't remember the numbers. Charloid, yeah. <laughs> how, did, what, how did you get that name then? Oh, Charloid0926. That is actually officially a nickname because it was given me by my friend Nick, who is, uh, boy, he's from South End, South End on Sea, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is, is where he's yeah. from. But yeah, he, uh, yeah, he gave me the nickname Charloid uh, a long time ago, and it stuck. You're in America. Whereabouts in America are you? Well, this is one of my two geographical connections to the Bond world, because uh, my husband and I live in Milwaukee, which is where Dr. No studied medicine. I was going to say, I can't think of a link, but my word, that's that's a great link. It it was funny. It was on a reread of Dr. No after I'd moved here. And, and I, you know, before that I had no connection to Milwaukee. So, you know, you know, the reference just went right over my head, but it was, it was the point where he's, he's recounting to Bond his experience with, you know, stealing the money from the Chinese Tong and having his, you know, getting shot in the chest and having his hands chopped off and everything. And, you know, he says after he recovered, he went to, you know, and it turned the page Milwaukee, which was the very last thing I expected to read. And uh, so, yeah. And the, my, my other connection is, um, that I was born in the same town as Fiona Fullerton. Oh, wow. Well, this yeah. is brilliant. And what, which town is that? Kaduna, Nigeria. Oh, okay. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what I'm more interested in now. Fiona Fullerton was born in Nigeria. You? What's, so how did that happen, Charlie? <laughs> well, <laughs> my, um, my parents worked for the U.S. government, and they worked for a, um, a division, section, whatever you would call it, uh, that – that collected uh, open source intelligence. And so we we lived in a number of different places. Uh, um, we're, we moved away from Nigeria when I was only eight weeks old, so I don't have any, ah, right, I don't have right. any memories of it. But we lived in um, Cyprus and Okinawa, uh, but both of which I remember really well because they were somewhat later. I think Cyprus was, I think I was seven years old when we left Cyprus and I think 11 years old when we left Okinawa, so. So you were always going to be a Bond fan, weren't you? Jet setting, part of the intelligence community. <laughs> well, you know, I think, I mean, I, I would say that's probably the, the 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 big attraction for me was, is is in the films, is the travelogue. I mean, it's the location. Yeah. So, yeah, that's always been a big, big draw for me. Have you managed to visit any of the Bond locations? Uh, yeah, a, a, a few. Well, arguably Okinawa is the setting for a yes. scene in, in uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Also, and I only just learned this today. It was cited as a as a location location for um, the spy who loved me. Oh. But what I read about it was that there was a uh, there was like an underwater observatory structure that that they were investigating to to use for Stromberg's lair. But that they ended up being very disappointed in it because it like looked like an oil rig and decided not to use it. But apparently, they they did shoot some. Uh, some of the the uh, footage of tropical fish that were used for the aquaria in Stromberg's, uh. you know, weird sitting room. 
So, uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I've been I've been to a number of locations. Um, a lot of the U.S. locations: um, San Francisco, New Orleans, uh, New York City. Uh, never been to Vegas. Went to several locations in uh, London: Somerset House, um, the Barbican, uh, and Black Park, which I which I really enjoyed. Which this is which, fantastic. Which arguably ha- has to be like. The, the biggest Bond location in a way, because I think like, I don't know, like six or seven of the movies had scenes filmed in Black Park. So did you do the Pinewood Saw then? Uh, no, no, we didn't. I, it, it was, uh, I, I don't remember even if I had investigated it beforehand. It was really almost sort of on a whim that we went to Black Park. We have friends who uh, lived in um, Eaton. So, oh. yeah, so we, we visited them there briefly and uh, went, oh, went over another to bomb, Another Bond connection, isn't it? <laughs> Right. Well, he yeah, because the he he attends school there in the yeah yeah, yeah. in the books. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of trying to think of any other. Oh, um, Istanbul. When oh, we lovely. Were living where we were living in Cyprus, we went we went uh, our whole family went camping in Turkey. My parents must have been crazy. I mean, like going camping <laughs> in Turkey with three young children. But yeah, so we we went to the Hagia Sophia oh. Museum, and yeah, that that was that. I remember that really well. Um, probably. Leaving some out. I really enjoyed uh, your your the yours and Jennifer's trip to uh, Peace Gloria. I loved the uh, I loved oh, that, yeah. that video. That was wonderful, and uh, that's definitely on the list. You won't. I know no one believes it, but it genuinely wasn't. Let Jennifer come on. We'll, we'll go to Switzerland. Oh, oh! I've just realised that there's a there's a place that Bond went to there. I promise you, <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't even. It was meant to be surprised the whole thing. So she didn't know she was going to Switzerland until we got to the airport. We oh, have wow. been there before, but only in the winter. Mm. And yeah, I can't recommend it enough. I mean, I'm banging on about it in that episode, but the, the, just the journey to get there from, I think it was about an hour and 40 minutes, but that was part of the best reason for going. You know, and this this was like 30 odd degrees. The sun was out. It was beautiful. The snow's still there right at the top. Hmm. But I think if I could do it again, I'd, I'd go in the winter or, you know, somewhere when, when it's snowing because... You can't beat that magic, but any anyone who gets the opportunity to go anywhere near Europe, I'd say, okay, it's it's that good. I'd, I'd definitely recommend it. And you can go up there. You can spend about three or four hours there. Come back down in time for your evening meal. It was class. I, I, I definitely recommend it to everybody. But before we move on, actually, I would like to publicly thank Charlie for his comments on articles I've written because he's the only person to have done it on the Licensed Square website. And the first one that he wrote was so nice. And I was like, no one else is writing on here. So it's so nice oh. to get some like large feedback. Uh, so I just wanted to say that publicly so everyone can know how sound you are. So thank you, Charlie. You're very welcome. He, he is, isn't he? He's the most positive guy. And because it's because it's there on the website, like you say, that's always there. You, you know, because often you'll have got praise on Twitter or whatever, but then it's hard to go back to it, isn't it? I yeah, yeah, it's so. yeah. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. That yeah, Charlie's very good at that, and it's it is encouraging. And although the awkward thing, Tom, is that I actually don't follow Charlie on Instagram, which I just realised, which is actually incredibly awkward. So I'm gonna you know uh, sort that out right now. Well, there we go. We've got a new follower already. There we go. There we go. But it's it's (laughs) like because we messaged, so I probably just assumed. Oh well, we follow each other. But the amount of times I've made that slip up is absolutely insane. And this guy bigs you up, loves your articles. um, I know. I mean, Lord knows what happens to the people who hate me. Uh, So, I mean. (laughs) They're the ones you have arguments with on Twitter. Anyway, 
Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> no, we won't do that tonight. I just wanted to ask you, how did you sort of get into James Bond? Did you watch watch one of them when you were a kid or something? Yeah, I saw uh, my first James Bond movie in the theater. Uh, my dad took us to see uh, Live and Let Die. And it was oh. when we were living in Okinawa. And so this, was, this would have been... Uh, Oh, well, it was 1973, I guess. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I don't know how soon movies got to the Air Force Base, but that, that would have been about when it was. I, I would have been um, probably nine years old. And I was so terrified of the scarecrows that yes, I, watched, yeah. I, I wanted to leave. I was abjectly terrified of the scarecrows. And it was it was the scene where Rosie is killed. You know, yeah, was man. clawing at my dad's arm saying, I have to leave. I have to leave. This is too scary. And, and he... He said, "No, no, just wait, just, just, just wait. It'll be over soon." And uh, he hadn't seen the movie, of course. He was, you know, just saying that. Yeah, and I think I was, I think I was hooked. Then I, I saw the next one I saw in the theater was *The Spy Who Loved Me*. But then, since then, when I went to college, student associations would would host fundraisers and they would show movies, and the Bond movies were really popular you know, fundraising movies. And so I ended up seeing, I think, pretty much all of the rest of the ones that came before that on the big screen. And then, of course, I've been seeing, you know, I've been seeing all the rest of them uh, first run ever since. That can't fail to get an impression because Sam and I certainly, we probably got it off video first, I would have thought, hmm. or DVD. And Sam's, Sam's still very young. I, very, I was VHS first, VHS first, VHS and ITV okay, first, VHS, and, then, right. and then DVD later. Charlie, who who was your favourite Bond growing up? Well, do you know, I, I think there's truth to like the, you know, the idea that the the one that you first you know the, yeah. the bond that you first encountered in the theater is is always going to be your bond and and i would say definitely roger moore is my bond you won't hear many complaints around here about that that's a great choice <laughs> fantastic So yes, it's not an easy task, is it, to don the dinner jacket and make an entrance as the new James Bond. You've got to remember that Sean Connery, he was actually creating the on-screen character back in 1962. Yes, he had a couple of people who'd done it before, but not to any great extent, not on the big screen for the whole world to see. Whereas we go all the way up to Daniel Craig, and he's got five massive names to try and live up to. So both have had it very tough in very different ways. And one day soon... Who knows? We may have a seventh James Bond actor announced, and we can't wait to see what their debut will be like. But we've got six debuts to talk about. But before that, I'm going to pretend to be John Kell now because I've I've got some quiz questions for you guys. <gasps> yeah, this is my yeah. first quiz. <laughs> <gasps> Charlie, gonna, you're very lucky. You're very lucky. My goodness, I've been waiting for this day. We only tend to do them for the review episodes and stuff and certainly not for the bond on the big screen that that would have just no absolutely chaos. not <laughs> <laughs> done a bit of a clangor and i haven't thought of a, a choice of a phrase for the buzzer so i don't know whether either of you would like to nominate a phrase or something cuba <laughs> there we go <laughs> there we have it in honor of uh, david and anthony's recent trip <laughs> yes yes oh so jealous I mean, I did. I actually messaged David about an hour ago, and he asked me a question. I put questions, questions. All you ask is questions, and I think that's quite <laughs> fitting for the quiz. So um, it's easy for me if Charlie says Cuba, and Sam says questions, questions, and then I'll know. <laughs> right here we go. 
So we've got 10 questions, all about the Bonds themselves. First of all, who was the first actor to play Bond on screen? Cuba. Go on, Charlie. Barry Nelson. Correct. Superb. 1 0. Yeah, that was in uh, 1954 for the TV, the American TV special, Casino Royale. Well done. Right, number two. This is a weird question, I'll admit. Which Bond actor was both the lightest when he made his debut and also the heaviest in his final performance? Questions, <laughs> These are just questions. the official Bond films. Go on, Sam. Go on. Daniel Craig? No. Cuba? Go on, Charlie. Sean Connery? No. No. It's not. No, that's that's a very interesting one. I think maybe the question allowed for the slight loss of weight between Diamonds and Never Say Never Again, perhaps. But the answer is actually Pierce Brosnan. So there you go, yeah. I don't think it's a, a slight on, on Pierce. He was, uh, I don't think it was a massive difference, but he's a big guy in, in uh, Dine of the Day, in a good way. Yeah. We're not body shaming, it's just, just a fact. It's just, a, you know. Anyway, right, number three. Which Bond actor served in the British military? Questions, questions. Go on. Timothy Dalton. That's wrong. That's wrong. Yeah, I'm afraid it is. I'm afraid it is, Sam. You've got one out one out of five to guess from. You might as well have a go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Roger Moore. Correct. Well done. Underrated. So, right, that's 2-0, Charlie. And we now go to question four. Which Bond film was the first that Daniel Craig saw at the cinema? Questions, questions. Well, go on, Sam. Uh, the Spy Who Loved Me? It's I'm not, absolutely terrible. Bloody hell. I'm unfortunate. Not a bad guess, though. Charlie, would you like to offer up? I'll say Fioraz only. Well, it was actually I the same as yours, Charlie. No, it was Live oh. Let Die. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know whether that was when it first came out, and I don't know how old he was, and I don't know whether he can remember it, but that was it, apparently. Oh wow! Well, I, hope he, I mean, I won't. I won't see fifty nine again. I mean, he's he's a few years younger than I am. I think at least. Yeah. Right? Is he around fifty? Yeah. He's in his he, mid fifties, yeah, isn't it? Like, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. I can't. I mean, he would have been inappropriately young to see that film. Theater, so. Unless he saw it again, you know, because they did re-release them, didn't they? Sometimes. Mm. Yeah. Right. Question five. This is a. This is another silly one. Sean Connery got a tattoo age sixteen when he joined the Royal Navy. What did it say? Cuba, <laughs> Scotland forever. Yes. What? <laughs> how, how did you know that? That's. I, that's I have no idea. I have no idea. It's probably out of one of my silly Bond trivia books that I have stacks of lying around. So. That's brilliant. My word. <laughs> well, Charlie's doing well here. Three 0 now. I'm not rubbing it in, Sam. I'm just keeping it mentally <laughs> in my head. No, no, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> right. He says crying. He did, yeah. <laughs> okay, so which Bond actor did John Cleese want to play Jesus in the life of Brian? Questions, questions. I'm yeah. going to say Dalton again, but I don't think it is. Can you it's imagine? Good guess. It's, it's Can you imagine wrong. Dalton so is Jesus? I Can probably can, actually. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not him, Sam. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> wow. Wow, I have no... I mean, Roger Moore? It's not. No, no. It's actually George Lazenby. <laughs> wow. Really? John Cleese wanted, wanted it to say on the poster, 
This is his sense of humour. George Lazenby is Jesus Christ. <laughs> Which, you know, I, I've always thought that uh, the 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 main title to Life of Brian is amazingly Bondian. I mean, I'm sure that's yeah. what they were going for. Yeah. And, of course, John Cleese would later play Q. So yeah. it, all, it all comes full it's circle, doesn't it? Number seven. Which Bond actor dated Vanessa Redgrave for 14 years? Cuba! Yeah. Tim- Timothy Dalton? It is, yeah. She must be at least 10 years older than him, maybe. I mean, he do- Dalton does look crazily good for his age. He is in his, he's in his early 70s now, isn't he? Or mid-70s, maybe. Mm, yeah. Incredible. Between 80 and 94, on and off, they dated. So there you go, while he was Bond. Huh? Right. Number eight. Which Bond actor... This is this is I didn't know this either. Was contractually obliged to not wear a tuxedo in any other film whilst they were Bond. Questions, questions. Yeah, Sean Connery. I'm no. sorry, Sam. Again. That's too early. <laughs> Jesus Christ Almighty! Sorry. My lucky but day. No. <laughs> it's not your lucky day. Oh, do you want to have a guess at this one? Yeah, I'll say Pierce Brosnan. Yes, well done. It was See, I, I wanted to say him, but I thought I've never seen the Thomas Crown affair, and I thought I'm surely he wears something like that in that. But apparently not. Apparently not. No, you, you're absolutely right. You always picture him to be smartly dressed, don't you? But no, he wasn't allowed to wear it. Right, we've got two more left. Number nine. Which Bond actor turned down the role of King Edward I, or known as Edward Longshanks, the baddie in Braveheart, because he was too busy? Cuba. Go on, Charlie. I'll say Sean Connery. Yes. It was actually Patrick McGowan who played him in the end, brilliantly. And he, I didn't realise, he was under consideration for Bond back in 1962. Mm. So they... Oh, wow. Right, last one. I think I think you've won, Charlie. I think you're 4 0 I think but, you have too. Yeah. Come on, let's let's try and get you get your point here, Sam. It's not an easy one, this. <laughs> last one. Which Bond actor... Donated a kidney to a family member. Questions, questions. I'm going to say Daniel Craig, but it's. I'm sorry. Purely because he's not been the an- he's not been the answer. That's the only. Like... Yeah, yeah. No rhyme or reason to this. No, I'm no, sorry. there is no reason. <laughs> Go on, Charlie. Have one last guess. George Lazenby. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Five nil. Well, well right done. One. Well done. Well done. And I don't know who this family member was, and I've, I've just picked it up somewhere, but he's a fascinating guy, George, isn't he? There's, there's always another story, isn't there, that you haven't Yes. Heard? Yes, there is. <laughs> yes, there is. Right, well done, Charlie. What a, what a brilliant debut performance that was. Oh, well, you thank you. Yep. Yeah, I'll just retract that statement that I made earlier about being excited for the quiz, and if anyone wants to, uh, <laughs> if anyone wants to say that I'm not a proper Bond fan for getting zero points on Twitter, then <laughs> they absolutely can. It's fair enough. Hello, this is Luciana Paluzzi, known as Fiona Volpe in Thunderball. I'm doing this podcast with an incredible podcast called, really, 007. We're now going to go into Sean Connery's debut in Doctor No. The casting of this was obviously, there's, there's a load of myth, there's loads of different stories about who was chosen, when they were chosen, how they did it. Apparently, they only had $140,000 to pay for the whole cast. So compare that to the figures we're talking with today. It was still a big budget, wasn't it? A million, I think, dot to know back then, but absolutely nowhere near what it would become, you know, 10 times that by the end of the decade. Cary Grant was apparently uh, Broccoli and Saltzman's first choice. 
I didn't know either that he was Cubby's best man when he got married, uh, just before Doctor No. So there you go. You would have thought he would have got it, but he would only commit to one film. So they had to go for someone. They thought this was going to be a successful series. Some guy called Richard Johnson was apparently Terence Young's first choice. I don't know. I don't know much about him, but he had a contract with MGM, so he didn't do it. Patrick McGoon, as we've mentioned, he turned it down. David Niven, who also uh, was considered, now he did become James Bond in David Labrigelis's <laughs> Casino Royale. <laughs> <laughs> I, only, I only think of him. I only think of him when I, when I hear about. And Albert Finney was favoured by by Harry Saltzman. Never knew that, you know, and of course he played Kincaid. So yes, there, there were many, many names anyway, but it would be, of course, eventually Sean Connery, who was 31 at the time. He'd actually worked with, I didn't know this as well, he'd worked with Terence Young on a film called Action of the Tiger a, a couple of years before. So he, he wasn't a complete nobody. He was sort of like a, I don't know, you call him a B-movie star. sort of someone a, wor- just, a working actor. A working no, actor, yeah, yeah which yeah. is which is a great position to be in. But he wasn't well-known. You know, people would not know him on the streets. And they, they certainly w- it would, have think, would have thought, compared to these names we've heard, like Cary Grant and even Roger Moore, you know, was more famous then, of course. And actually, his debut as The Saint was aired the day before the premiere of Doctor No. It's all fate, isn't it? Everything seems to sort of happen for a reason. And the bonds, I think, the actors come at the right time hmm. and they're chosen at the right time. Let's talk about Sean. Weirdly enough, we were saying this on the Thunderball review, it's almost too obvious to praise Sean that we don't hear that much discussion about him. But the guy, the guy's a pioneer, and I still say he's never been never been beaten as Bond. We've got loads and loads of outstanding actors who've played him since, and some are our favourites, aren't they, for different reasons. But I'd find it difficult for someone to say, I didn't really like Sean as Bond. <laughs> I've never heard anyone say that. I don't expect. I wouldn't never expect anyone to think that he's their least favorite. I mean, I can imagine based on you know certain things that Connery's Bond does, you know, which you know wouldn't fly today. That some people yeah. would go, well, that's that's that, and you know. But I think just as as you know the character, what you know he's supposed to be, and for setting a, a certain standard, it, it would be different if Connery had done one and left, and then another yeah. person had taken over because. Most of the time when you think of, you know, a series that has like a number of people either playing the same character or a number of roles that kind of fit that mould, the first is always going to stick with you, you know, whether you were there to see it happen or not. For many, and, you know, myself included, we weren't there, but you understand the legacy and what everything else is built on. And in large part, it's because of him. So it's completely understandable why he gets so much praise, but also it's understandable why he isn't talked about much nowadays because I think one, it's always about the current bond. That's always going to be in mainstream. That's going to be the one that people are talking about the most. But I think when it comes to hardcore bond fans, which is you two and me who doesn't know anything, um, I think, (laughs) I think it's, um, it's interesting because we go past the obvious and kind of we'll talk about something that, that, most casual viewers would never talk about. So we'll, we will talk about, oh, A View to a Kill absolutely needs to be, you know, rewatched again. Dine of a Day is an absolute classic masterpiece, you know, <laughs> according to according to many. You know, we'll say weird things like that, you know, Dalton's had his, you know, resurgence over the past few years. I know there's been, you know, back and forth on Brosnan. I feel like Roger's probably like talked about the least it feels at the moment to me, but 
Connery as well. I feel like the earlier Bonds are kind of more shrouded at the moment. But, you know, Connery is will always stand no matter what anyway. Yeah, because do you think there's a sense that maybe younger younger viewers might not quite hold him in the same esteem as... I mean, people who grew up with him will always say, he he's the original, he's my favourite. That's that's. But but you will always have a camel for Pierce because he was your Bond, wasn't he, when, when, uh, when you were growing up? Yes. Yeah, so, so, I mean... You know, I had, you know, and I've said before, I've had, you know, one, I had one Connery VHS and three Roger Moore VHSs. So naturally I gravitated towards Roger Moore. But at the time, Pierce Brosnan was Bond at the cinema, but I didn't see any of his films at the cinema at the time. And then Daniel Craig was the first one that I saw at the cinema. So I have weird, like, mixes of who I could say is my first Bond or main Bond as a kid. But no, I think with the age thing, it's really interesting because... Obviously, you you are given a film to watch as a as a kid, and a lot of the time, if it's shown by your parents, and we've talked a lot, and this podcast has talked a lot about family and you know what how you get into something like Bond, and many people have very similar stories. If you're shown something, and the majority of the time, you're probably going to like it, but there's times that you're just going to be forced to sit through something, even if you don't like it. So you'll always have some form of memory. If it's say a 21 year old watching a Sean Connery film for the first time, I think there's a lot more chance that they'll probably go, oh, well, that was that. Was that. So I think it's a sense of just who in general likes films because I think there's some open-minded people who will go back to films from classic Hollywood and write on to today, whereas there's some who, you know, there was someone, who, I don't know if they were on Twitter or somewhere else where they said um, that they could never watch a film that was uh, predated 1990 or something which i thought was absolutely insane like how could you say that so yeah there's definitely an age thing i think but i think it's it's just personal taste about film and a lot of people just aren't interested in that type of format at the moment unfortunately there's a lot of people who gravitate more towards tv series where things are fleshed out a bit more whereas you know a sean connery film is 90 minutes you know to two hours you know wham bam you're done you know and you know it's very much of its time as well so I can understand why tides shift, but I mean, there's always going to be a loyal following to Connery and his Bond. It was good. I think there was a, you know, they did a Twitter poll in the last year where everyone sent in their top their top six Bonds in order, and Sean was top. So yeah. he's still, you, you know, usually the one who's second is the one who's currently Bond. So Daniel Craig was Bond was uh, second, and I think Pierce might have been fourth or fifth. You see, because it. It suffers, doesn't it? Until Pierce will have a renaissance, and we'll we'll talk about him later. But Doctor No, guys, uh, Charlie, can you remember when you first saw it? And do you, do you, do you think that Sean Connery is such a big part of of the film's success? Well, I think uh, Doctor No, I, I I'm pretty sure that was one of the ones that I saw for the first time when I was in college. I mu- I might have seen parts of it on TV, but but I do remember seeing it on the big screen in college. And I I think I think in a way I sort of have three. <laughs> Three top bonds. All right. I, well, I, I, I consider Sean Connery to, the, to be the most iconic, and I know it's 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 easy to overuse the word iconic in these in these discussions because it's it's uh but but just there there are so many things about the about his his portrayal that just became instant instantly classic you know to my mind you know I think I think my bond is Roger Moore because he was the one that I grew up with you know seeing seeing the films in the theater for the first time and then um. I think Timothy Dalton is is the one that I think best encompassed all of the different aspects of the character. You know the the uh, you know the action, the intelligence, the sophistication, the you know all all of those elements. I think he he brought together the most uh, effectively. But yeah, I mean Sean Connery is is 
just amazing in the role. Because he was so committed. I think it was partly the arrogance that they liked when he was auditioning. He didn't want to do a screen test and he sort of stamped his his fist on the table and that was like, oh yeah, this guy has got that kind of that attitude that we want. We don't want someone who's a nice guy coming in because Bond is not a nice guy, is he? He's not. And they, di- they didn't want that on screen. They need to... You know, they need someone who, you know, women and men will look up to and fancy, don't they? <laughs> but they also need someone who's aspirational, but someone who can fit the character as he is in the books. There's stories, aren't there? There's so many stories where he went to Salva Row, didn't he? And Terence Young, particularly, was a sort of inspiration. And people say he was very much like James Bond. And he made sure that he... Because Sean Connery, I mean, he's just a, a working-class guy, wasn't he, from Scotland? He hadn't had this kind of Eton education... <laughs> that James Bond has had. But you cannot, I don't know, you cannot train what he had in terms of, like, we always say his movements, the way for such a big guy he glides. And the, the screen presence is arguably the best of all six, I think, where he he, he, he underacts, doesn't he? he he's, just, he's never over the top in anything as Bond. We could go on to the the Bond in Doctor No is not the Bond of Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> I mean, they genuinely are different characters, aren't they? But he's so good at both. I still think Sean in Diamonds Are Forever is he's loving it. He's really enjoying it. It's a lot less serious. It's a lot more knowing. And it works. But going back to Doctor No, I think when you first think about James Bond, how many times have we seen that casino entrance now? It's I don't want to get to the stage where I've seen that so many times. I don't want it to sort of really hit me when I see it. This guy... Just think about that moment. The audiences must have seen that. It's absolutely incredible. I admire your courage, Miss... Uh... Trench. Sylvia Trench. I admire your luck, Mr... Bond. James Bond. Did you get the sense of that, Sam? You saw it, didn't you, at the cinema this time, Doctor No? Yeah, yeah, so... I saw it. Well, yes, I've seen it you know, loads of times now, like, alongside you know every, every other one, but... Yeah, Doctor No on the big screen was it was kind of like it's like a seminal moment. It's it's kind of yeah. you know, it's not my favourite, it's not in my top ten or anything, but I appreciate it for what it is because it's a it's a huge landmark moment. So to get, you know, that scene, which, you know, again, you've seen so many times, you know, it's not it's not particularly you know, out of this world in terms of it's not a massive spectacle, but that's the great thing about it is that it's not, you know, met some Bond entrances are so extravagant and then some are just very, very simple. And this is simple, but extremely effective. I think there's another simple entrance, which is not great, which we'll get to, but uh, <laughs> we'll get to that later. But for Sean Connery, it's, I think, the perfect way to introduce the character. And it's, it's the character in his elements. And, you know, I think the back and forth with Eunice Gason's um, character is just, you know, it's such fun to see. It's like they're just volleying back and forth to each other and they're both so confident. And I think that's what really helps in an introduction as well is the setting and who you've got around you. And I think, you know, that casino, that look, his his talks, his cigarette, just the way he you know, holds himself and is 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 playing cards. It's just excellent. So to see that on the big screen was just such like a thrill. 
and it kind of it makes me want to see it. if it's out on the big screen again then i can easily oh, see it. i probably yeah. wouldn't see it see it again because i mean dr no in and of itself is just a, a gorgeous looking film and i think it shows how much effort was being put into it with not the lack of budget but i mean they were limited so they had to do what they could do and i know the restorations really helped to bring out the colors of the film so so yeah but that entrance is again iconic but it needed it needed to sell this character and it does that in the first you know five seconds with his introduction of bond james bond because he's a cinema character we've got to remember that it isn't just reading lines he's got to look the part and the way he holds his suit is just uh, the way he sort of goes into the room is bet you know the bedroom in his hotel looking for the bugs and all that they seem basic cliche now but to just watch a guy do that on the on the paper sounds terribly boring but every time I look at Sean, I'm so drawn to him. And, you know, when he puts the hair on the, the wardrobe and uh, we, we did our Bond films when we were kids and we love that. We instantly love that kind of thing because it's something that anyone could do, couldn't they? It's not a nice little trick. Mm-hmm. And we come to, you know, another classic scene which is in danger of being sort of overplayed and overplayed, but the killing of Dents. I think they, they did use that as well as the Tatiana, the love scene. That was the other one that they've used as screen tests for for checking checking out new bonds, and you can see why because you need that deadly deadly sort of presence that will will come on to living daylights. But that scene with Pushkin, it's that level of brutality that perhaps not every bond has, has done that often, and perhaps not every bond is remembered for other than those two. Stop it, Professor! I'm behind you. you turn up sooner or later. Sit down. The girl talked. But of course. And it was suspicious at the Queen's Club, anyhow. When it turned out you were the only one who'd seen Strangway's new secretary. And then later at the lab, you made no reference to the fact that Strangway's samples were radioactive. Very clever, Mr. Bond. But you're up against more than you know. You shoot me and you'll end up like Strangways. And you killed him? He was killed, but never mind how. Who are you working for, Professor? Well, you might as well know, as you won't live to use the information. I'm working for... Mr. Smith and Weston. And you've had your six. In Doctor No, Charlie, that that scene where he's sitting and waiting is pretty ruthless, isn't it? From from Sean. Yeah, that's a great scene. That's a great scene. I was I was trying to remember. Maybe maybe it'd help me remember the uh, that he. It's described as a cold blooded killing, but Dent is actually reaching for his gun. Yeah, when Bond shoots yeah. him. Isn't isn't he? Yeah. Hey, I wanted to go back to the uh, the the casino introduction scene, and it was. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, Sam, I wanted to say first that yeah, I totally agree with you about the 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 saturated color in Dr. No, when I saw it on Blu-ray for the first time, I was, I was just amazed at how rich the colors in the film were. I mean, I guess I just, you know, remembered having just seen it on grainy VHS copier. We were actually an underdog format household. So my dad, he bought a beta player. So we, we had Betamax tapes and we also had, I had, I wish I still had them now, but we had the bond movie, uh, two or three of them on those CED laser, those CED video discs, not laser discs. They were like big floppy oh, yeah, discs. Yeah. 
that you'd ins- insert into the machine. But anyway, but back to the casino scene. It was, I think it was on um, one of D- D- David's articles that he pointed up the fact, and I've heard several people mention this as well, that Bond is really imitating Sylvia's introduction. But yeah. she introduces herself, you know, with that format, you know, the last last name and then first name, last name. And that that his is really an imitation of of hers, uh, which I which I, I thought was a an interesting element to the scene. So but yeah, that's that is a wonderful, wonderful introduction. Because it's a catchphrase now, but if that scene wasn't so well remembered and so impactful, it probably would never have been used again. It might not have you know, it might have just seen, oh well that didn't work that time. We'll just introduce him as a normal person one each would each time like yeah my name's uh, James Bond I don't know how often people say they only say it now because they're copying Bond don't they really if we if I said my name's Pickup Tom Pickup you just laugh you'd be like oh yeah you're just being Bond wouldn't you it is it's 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 forever associated with Sean Connery, that phrase, which is amazing. Well, and, and I, I think, too, about, like, you know, the Dr. No is a standalone adventure. It doesn't really have a connection yeah. to the film to the, other, to the others in the series. But, uh, you know, uh, and obviously we'll get to this, but, you know, Daniel Craig's Bond and Casino Royale, where they explore his beginnings, his becoming an agent. And if there's a, if there's a couple of elements in Dr. No that I sort of think of that way, one is adopting that format of introduction from Sylvia and the other is is uh because he receives his his Beretta is retired and taken away from him and he's given the Walter PPK so I see those as being sort of two origin story elements to Dr. No I think that as far as as far as Connery's you know introduction those are two things that stand out for me give me a gun yes I thought so this damn Beretta again I've told you about this before you tell him for the last time. Nice and light in a lady's handbag. No stopping power. Any comment, 007? I disagree, sir. I've used the Beretta for 10 years. I've never missed with a jet. Yeah, maybe not, but it jammed on your last job and you spent six months in hospital in consequence. If you carry a double O number, it means you're licensed to kill, not get killed. And another thing, since I've been head of MI7, there's been a 40% drop in double-O operative casualties, and I wanted to stay that way. You'll carry the water. Unless, of course, you prefer to go back to standard intelligence duties. No, sir. I would not. Then from now on, you carry a different gun. Show him, Amra. Walter PPK. 7.65 mil with a delivery like a brick through a plate glass window. Takes a Brausch silencer with very little reduction in muzzle velocity. The American CIA swear by them. Thank you, Major Brother. Because he was almost testing the waters, wasn't he, with all these things. So with gadgets, they're fairly minimal in this film, but from Rush With Love, you get the attaché case. From then on, you're like, oh, this, we could, this could go somewhere. And of course, Goldfinger, we get a whole new level with the banter between him and Q. Mm-hmm. And that by the time of Thunderball, it's like, Oh, this is hilarious. And it's almost experimenting with the formula as it goes along. But Sean was the one who had to do it for the first time. He had nothing to fall back on. Like I said at the beginning, it's it's easier for the other actors because they've got that those few films before that they can sort of lean back on. But there's also more pressure because he, he did it so well. It's a privilege to be James Bond, and I think all the Bond actors have said that and they've enjoyed being Bond. As a kid, the Professor Dent scene didn't really click with me not that i didn't like it but it just kind of seemed you just kind of see it for what it is which is just a a killing and and 
for a child, or at least from my own experience, it's like, oh, well, Bond kill, kills people. That's that's fair enough. But you don't really get the layers of the scene. You don't get, oh, he's sorting out the pillows to make it seem like he's in bed with Miss Taro. You don't get what he's saying about you've had your six. You don't understand what it means. You don't understand how clever it is. And just the whole vibe, the mood, the tone of the lighting before Dent comes in and just everything about it is just, you know, really well handled and executed. So, and that that's props to like everyone involved, you know, in the film, you know, there's a lot of different elements that I've got to work to make Sean look good by doing that. It makes, it means that you have got to have great supporting cast, a great location, a great story, great dialogue. And I think that's what, Connery sells. I, I think I know some people, you know, have said or reviewed, you know, Dots No Sing. You know, it's a little bit Connery's great, but you know, he's more comfortable with what he's saying and how he says it later on, which is understandable. And it's you know the first time you're really trying to figure it out. But no, everything that he does in Dots No is 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 fairly good. You wouldn't, I would say, if I watched it out of, out of order, that I wouldn't necessarily think, oh yeah, that's definitely his first one. But I think that's credit to him, and it's credit to the other actors as well because i don't think with any of them i would go oh that was a really shaky performance for your first film and i think if you look at the film side by side none of them are bad and i don't think any of them would be at the bottom of anyone's list because they're all so solid films but i think that's part of you know the filmmaking they know they've got to introduce someone and it's a really important task so you've got to make sure it's right so i think a lot more care is given and a lot more preparation but obviously once bonds off the off the ground you've got a certain trajectory to go in so you can it's kind of like riding the wave taking what's good that's come before and then using that and adding your own flair to it but connery didn't have that luxury so you, you do have to give a lot of props because if it if it went wrong then that would have been yeah. the end i know often we talk about say spy love me was a big one where they needed a big hit and they went for broke obviously honor majesties was huge because heck what do we do without sean and then golden eye after the gap of timothy they were all like make or breaks but nothing can be quite so monumental and so much at stake as the first one can it because we wouldn't be here 60 years on would we chatting bond if this film was a dud and we've got to accept not just sean like you say it's amazing to have so many of those people in the in place at the right time who were all pretty much geniuses of the craft. And for those oh, first yeah. few films working together, the dear me, it's so good. I mean, otherwise this podcast would be called Really Dot to Know and you'd just be talking about this random yeah. cult film from 1962. <laughs> yeah. Like, we, all still, the time. We'd still be 10-hour episodes, don't worry. We'd still oh, of course. It's <laughs> our 10-hour analysis of the tarantula. The review, we'll get to that review eventually. And I, don't, I dread to think how long that will be by the time we do it. <laughs> we have covered it a lot here. We will move on to Honor Majesties. Of course, at the end of You Only Live Twice, Connery, by this time, was... I mean, there's certain accounts which say, you know, that's it, he said, no way. But he did always have a price. If they had have kept going up and up and up, he would have accepted it, I think. They just were like, we want someone who wants to be Bond. We don't really want somebody who keeps it difficult to work with. And they weren't chatting on set where they, I think he fell out with Harry Saltzman during the film of Young Twice. So it was getting very strained. They made the decision anyway to, to have a new bond. Between the resignation of Sean and its release, Harry Saltzman's idea was to adapt to the Man with the Golden Gun in Cambodia with Roger Moore. But political instability in uh, Cambodia meant they ruled that out. And by the time 
that was all being worked on. He was uh, picked up for another series of the Saints. Now, I know Roger says he was never approached officially until 1972, but these conversations were, of course, always going on because they didn't know whether Sean would sign on. So they have to keep thinking about new actors. And back in those days, you didn't sit and wait for a few years for a certain actor to say whether or not they were coming back. They, they had plans, didn't they? They had to get Bond films out every every year, every every two years. So yes, anyway, they, they eventually decided to do On a Manchester Secret Service. I think it's perhaps a blessing that this is one, if you had to have one with a one-off actor, this is the one, because it's such a one-off film in the series. There's all these what-if stories, aren't there? What if Sean was Bond? What if Roger had started early? I personally glad that George has got this film and it, it does mean so much to me, particularly after going to Peace Gloria, but it's the one that's sort of gone right up in my rankings, particularly in the last few years. I just love it for what it is. So yeah, George, I mean he it was difficult for the producers because you've had the promotional stuff for Young Live Twice. Sean Connery is James Bond. And now it's like, ah, right, okay, he isn't now, but we've got <laughs> to remember that it's the same guy. So there were there's quite a lot of references, aren't there? So, you know, the scene in M's office, well, his office at MI6, where it's a bit like what they do today, isn't it? Like in these legacy sequels, they sort of look at past things and little quotes from other other films. You know, they did it in the, the recent Star Wars, didn't they? And Marvel films do it. But he, he gets this briefcase, doesn't he? And he finds objects from the first few films. And then Thunderball theme is used. Like, there's a caretaker, isn't there, later on, whistling the Goldfinger theme. Mm-hmm. Dine of the Day would do it quite a lot. Skyfall did a little bit of it. And even uh, No Time to Die did a bit of this, these callbacks. There was also Bond breaking the fourth wall. You know, this never happened to the other fella, which is the clearest indication. This never happened to the other fella. What do you think about that pre-title sequence? Because I, I just, I think it's, I know that's a bit jarring, but up until then, it's such a good introduction because you, his face is hidden, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And you, you just think it's done deliberately. And we will talk about Tim in, in Living Daylights. It's done so well then. What do you think, Charlie, about this introduction of George? I think it's brilliant. In a way, I sort of compare it to Timothy Dalton's where you're sort of moving in yeah. closer and then finally, you know, the, is the reveal. In this one, you're almost, you're, you're seeing only just like small parts of him, you know, his hands and then his mouth as he puts a cigarette in. And it's like almost the picture of him is assembled before, yeah. you know, you fully see him on the beach. But uh, yeah, I think it's fantastic. I really like it a lot. What do you think about the line? Are you all right with that? Uh, no, I, I always, you know, I know that I know that people have said that maybe, maybe he's referring to, uh, you know, the prince from Cinderella, you know, referencing the what is it? Does he actually hold up her shoe on the beach? He does, doesn't he? Isn't he yeah. holding yeah. her shoes? Yeah. 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 yeah, and so, so I think maybe, maybe the producers intended that it could be read that way as sort of a way of. You know, arguing yeah. that it wasn't truly breaking the fourth wall, but yeah, I always, I always found it a bit jarring, particularly because the maybe it's just a sort of a tonal problem that I perceive, but just that that opening fight sequence on the beach and just you know the seriousness of the idea that this woman is contemplating taking her own life. I mean, is actually trying to take her own life, yeah. uh, and then and then contrasted with that bit of fourth wall breaking humor it just it, it's always been very jarring to me i think i think maybe i'll i'll do my best to try and subscribe to the cinderella theory moving forward it's one of those it's, it's quite easy to hide behind that but obviously it was done for that reason and the fact that he looks at the camera you can't really get away from that you did a, an edit did you sam you, you've done some <laughs> go on i want to hear about i want to hear more about this well, and I've I've done a couple I've done a couple of edits of that i did one edit where i replaced the music of that car 
sequence uh, him running on the beach with a uh, ladies first and uh, <laughs> and another pe- and a piece of the slow music from a uh, golden eye uh, i think it was actually either shayla or someone else had said wouldn't that be funny or like or i would or i said it so someone said it and then we said oh and then someone said oh you could make a video and or i said suggestive something like that yeah and I just went ahead and did it. And I was really trying, I was trying to find Aston Martin DBS sound effects. And I was like, oh, this doesn't sound too great. But to just hear ladies first over it is just the weirdest thing. So I did that. <laughs> and then I also did, because I've done a few alternate openings. I've not done one for a while, but there was one where I tried to put Sean Connery in at that moment where Lazenby would say, this never happens to the other fellow. And I replaced it with the things I do for England. But I took the version that's in the Thunderball trailer that wasn't actually used in the film just so that it wasn't just the You Only Live Twice version. Yeah. And then I just did the credits with Sean Connery in the title and then yeah. uh, Donald Pleasance and then Rick Van Nutter. Oh, I can't remember. Who's the guy who played Tiger Tanaka? I can't remember his name. But, um, uh, Tissura Taba? Yes, oh, had him, well him in him in there as well, and I also had I think Side Chin, who was in You Only Live Twice, to come back as well. And in my mind, it's like, oh, she'll be one of the, uh, she'll be like an undercover agent at Piz Gloria, but she'll be one of the angels in death, something like something oh. like that, just for the random. Huh. So yeah, so I've done a couple of edits with that, and you know, Onomatopsy Onim- is my favorite Bond film, and it's in my top ten of all time. Yeah, so I do yeah. find it really difficult to negatively critique it and but i do think just in general general outside of bond it's a very well-made film and i don't mind the the line that much i think it would be different if he was looking directly into camera but because it's like it's like off camera slightly it makes me feel like he's looking at the uh, tracy's car so i'm like okay there's that <laughs> and then also um you know i just i just think it's a bit of fun i think it's just a bit of fun you know it is what it is it went over my head as a kid. I was like, okay, oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then you just continue on. But, you know, I love, you know, callbacks to previous things, not so heavy handed. I know they did it a couple of times, but I think it gives you a bit of comfort uh, knowing that, you know, things aren't exactly the same, but there's still a lot that is the same. And you that, oh, you enjoyed that. That means you're going to enjoy this. But even that, the whole opening you know, sequence, the pre-titles, I think is an excellent introduction. Maybe not the best, but I love that he's in darkness. I love that you get the elements of Bond that you would know. He's wearing a tux, he's smoking, he's driving an Aston Martin. There's a woman involved, even though the, the circumstances of that are actually just, you know, horrible. And you've got this really picturesque setting with this dreamlike music and, you know, Tracy's wearing this, it's a weird outfit, but it's, mm. it's excellent. It's, it feels like it's not, in this world and that's what i love about that it feels like you're in some form of alternate universe where this is happening and you know bond saves a woman from drowning at dawn or something and then the massive fight happens and you know i just think it's a really excellent opening it's it's difficult to be the second one anyway and to have a to have a script like on a majesty's is massive pressure i know they tried to do it before with connery but i think you're right tom with with this, I think unless you could do a proper follow-up to Honor Majesty's, then it wouldn't work. So imagine if it was Sean doing Honor Majesty's and then he left and someone else took over. That would be more of a blow, yeah. I think. Yeah. You, cause you just can't follow up. I think to have a proper follow-up to, to Honor Majesty's, you would need an actor to follow through with that with both. And if that's not going to happen, you need to shift it up. So I think that's why I make peace with the tonal shift between Honor Majesty's and Diamonds. That reminds me, yeah. of course, I can link it in with David's recent video with Tom Mason 
going on mm. about the diamond script, what yeah. ifs again, and all the when it was going to be a direct sequel. And Lazenby, of course, was was planned to be Bond for that, and it, it would have been very different. It's it's one of those where I'm glad we got the diamonds we got. It would have been weird seeing Sean sort of doing revenge for something he he had nothing to do with, and it was going to start, wasn't it, with the same. You know, the end, the last few minutes, it would start with that. It's a fascinating thing to think about for us Bond fans, really. What ifs? And there's a, there's a few of them as well, because I know there's always those. that then I feel like every other week there's something on Twitter where it's like, what would you prefer, a third Dalton? Would you want Brosnan to do a fifth film or do Casino? Would, uh, would you want to see yeah. Lazenby do a second? You know, there's all that, all those things. And I think I am happy with the whole series that it, it, that it is what it is. We never know Absolutely. what could have happened. It had to be been a change. And, you know, to plug another couple of videos, I did that idea where it did end with the wedding and then the credits go up when they're driving away and that would be yeah. the end of on a match season. Then the pre-title sequence is the drive, the stopping on, on the cliff side and then the shooting and then and then the title sequence of Diamonds. And I think it, that's, it is so intriguing because the setup is there and it, it would be an absolute brutal opening for people to come back to the cinema and see something so awful. And we know Lazenby does, you know, he's... Choppy throughout the film, but I think he's he's fairly good for his experience, lack thereof, in the film. I think he does remarkably well, actually. And with that last scene, had he done really poorly, then I think we'd be talking a lot different about the film. But because he does so good, I think there's so much there. And I think that's what you think about. You think about all the possibilities that could have happened. But, you know, things happen for a reason, don't they? And we got Connery back after that. And then we got Roger and everything that happened after him, yeah. which are all blessings, aren't they? So Yeah, they yeah. are. And he- he got he got to make this film, and I, I was just thinking then that opening is so dazzling that we get the mystery, we get the the sort of tenderness that Bond is thinking about this lady, and it isn't just oh she looks fit, let's let's race after her. He he's genuinely trying to save a life, and he does. So it's not just that particular focus is on the fighting because I think most people accept that you know Lazenby's pretty pretty flawless when it comes to the action. He's really committed and. We know when he was trying to get the part, he was beating people up, wasn't he? And uh, this this was like his general, what he did every night at the bar in sort of the outback in Australia. But yeah, what Charlie, what, what do you make of his performance in this film? Because people do criticise it. The whole, you know, Place and B was really wooden in that film. I would call his performance understated. Um, yeah. And- and I think I think appropriately so. The Sam, I, it might have been you who said this on on a on something that I saw recently, and you know my mind's going. I can't even remember what happened yesterday. So, but it was it was um, saying that Lazen. One of the reasons that he succeeds in that role is because he's surrounded by so many just so many brilliant actors that he doesn't he doesn't have the pressure necessarily of carrying scenes all on his own because you know Ilsa Stepad is is so wonderful. Telly Savalas, um, you know the women playing the you know the roles uh, of the you know the angels uh, at Peace Glory. I mean, he's he's there are so many wonderful performers in this film. He gets such amazing support from the rest of the cast that I think his it really works. His sort of level of emotional intensity in the film I think really works with everything that's going on around him. Because you don't want too much melodrama, do you? You know, you don't you don't want your Bond completely losing it one minute and then he's really cocky the next. He's got to have that stiff you know stiff upper lip, as they say, for the British that he's carrying it. And it's that, John always mentions the moment when he's at the ice rink and that's the moment where he just looks like 
puts his head in his hands and he just thinks, I don't know. He, and then, of course, that's when she comes there, like a vision. And it's almost those unspoken moments where he realises this is the woman for me. And there's no dialogue needed for that. And this is this is, this is is something I always love. You don't want to bash people over the head with this. The scene in the barn, I can't, it's so amazing, isn't it? It's so believable, that proposal. Okay, you've got John Barry's music, which is ridiculous, isn't it, to help you. But I'd struggle to think of if a different actor was doing that, it would have been better. Between those two actors doing it then, I think it's magnificent. Tracy, and shouldn't be concerned with anything but himself. I understand. We just have to go on the way we are. Hmm. We'll have to find something else to do. Are you sure, Jane? I love you. I know I'll never find another girl like you. Will you marry me? Sam, go on, I want to hear your thoughts on this and Diana Reagan. I mean, if I've not spoken enough about Diana Reagan, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's not possible because I will I will sing her praises forever. I absolutely adore her. I think she's probably the best actress to ever be in a Bond film, is what I would say. Yeah. One of the best actors just in general. And she supports she supports him and you know it their scenes together would be absolutely nothing if she was not involved and if she wasn't taking it as seriously as she is i think the difficult thing i guess for for contemporary audiences perhaps is connery never really got the opportunity to be super vulnerable and especially yeah. on a on a deep emotional level so i can imagine that as jarring as it is to see someone else be bond it's also jarring to see a bond be emotionally vulnerable and so i can i can understand why people would have certain feelings towards that and may associate a, a wooden performance because it's less it's less cocky i mean he definitely is cocky at times i think yeah, yeah. Beats is a cocky person and you can see that sometimes yeah. and i think there is i think there's times where you see in his body language that he's not particularly doing what connery would do and, and at times that's great and at times I, I go maybe that's not what you should be doing and i think it doesn't take me out of it but i think you can see his naivety and his lack of experience coming through you know he's by far the youngest yeah 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 to be that yeah to be that age as well you know i mean there's there's a lot i think with bond you need to have some form of heaviness this guy's gone through a lot there needs to be some weight to him lazenby's the lightest let's say you know he he's there's not a lot that he carries you know you could say that because of events in this film bond will carry a lot but you'll see in roger's performance he you know especially in his later films he seems like he's carrying more and you know perhaps that's just because we reference his past more but you definitely feel that with him you feel kind of that he's you know maybe because he's older as well that you kind of yeah. he has that experience but no i think his his general laser beast performance i think is fine could be could have been a hell of a lot better but absolutely could have been worse but luckily again because it's such an important film you know and i think they decided after going up and up and up with these films up to you all have twice and making it so expansive right let's strip back let's really see what we can get out of this book let's see what you know film touches we can put to this and actually just try and make an excellent film that's going to keep people coming to the cinema because this is the biggest hurdle they're going to have had since 
inception. You know, we, they're going to need to do something. And to have a massive risk as someone like Lazenby who hasn't got the experience, it is a massive risk. And I, it's crazy how the series did continue as it did because if it flopped completely, then that could have been it. And I think that's the great thing to talk about these introductions in these first films because there's all that pressure every single time. What's going to happen? Like this sets the standard for a new era, essentially. Yeah. And these films in this era, in this era are so tumultuous. You've got You Only Live Twice and On Majesty's in, is in one direction, Dimes Are Forever is in a different direction, and then Live and Let Die is somewhere in the middle, somewhere. So yeah, so yeah, crazy, crazy. And I think Peter Hunt's someone who has almost been lost yeah. in all this. Because he, he's such... I mean, he was a fantastic editor, but what a directorial debut. And I know he wanted to move on to something else, but I'm sure if they'd really wanted him back, they would have got him back. And I, he was almost like a scapegoat, wasn't he, for this? Mm. And I think I think that's what, something that... Yes, we lost George, but a lot of that was his own choice, wasn't it? But Peter Hunt, we genuinely lost a great director... And I think I think that is a big shame. Yeah, and I, I can understand why they went back to Guy Hamilton after after it. It makes complete sense to kind of go with what you know. Um, and even though they knew, you know, Peter Hunt very well, he really is someone who has kind of not been lost to time because it's not like he's you know ain't, he was ancient or anything. He's no, like no, long ago. Once Onomatsis is done, then he's not part of the series again. And it's kind of it's just kind of he didn't deserve that. He deserved more praise, and it's a shame that he isn't around today to really see how much love there is. And I yeah, think yeah. you could, I think when he was still alive, there was that resurgence anyway, but it's gone so far now, you know, it's, it's absolutely insane. And, you know, his work on as an editor definitely helped him create what I would say is one of like the close to perfect Bond film. He absolutely has been there from the beginning. He knows what to do to put, the skills that he he had and put them into practice for something himself and mold his own type of things. It makes Onomatsu so unique anyway, and it's so weird in its own style with the plots, with the angels of death, with some of the music, which I think is completely out of this world and some of the best music for, you know, a Bond film. John Barry's, you know, best. Yeah, I mean, I will praise Honor Majesties as well yeah. to, to, till the cows come home. And Peter, I, of I, course, brought in uh, John Glenn as well. And if we mm, didn't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I saw Honor Majesty's Secret Service and it was uh, it was in probably the mid-70s and I saw it on television. I don't know what it was, like an ABC Sunday night movie or something. And it was... It, it was shown over the course of like four and a half hours because of all the commercial breaks. <laughs> and, and so, and it's already a long, it was, it was, it's a long, yeah, it was the longest. Like, yeah. Two yeah. hours and 20 minutes or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something like that. But so it was a horrible way to see it for the first time because it was all just, you know, butchered for being shown on television. But I, I, it's really moved up in my, in my list. I mean, it, it, it I consider it one of the very best of the films. It's up there with, from Russia with love for me as far as like you know again there's like what do you consider the best film what are you likely to put in the player on a sunday yeah, yeah. you know it's it's like that it it means different things in a different context but I, I really do think it's one of the very best of the films and sam what you say about um about peter hunt's editing background you know contributing to just the snappiness of that of that production i mean it um i was able in a way to sort of see it through fresh eyes because my husband and i watched um paul and i watched the movie, and I, I'm hoping we're going to make it a Christmas tradition, as Sam, like you said, you were uh, um, this year, and he was he was really like astonished and was commenting through the movie just about like how intense the fight scenes were and how just sort of snappy and e economical the storytelling was, and and there's so many just 
really beautiful, beautiful shots and really unusual shots, like where Bond watches the helicopter fly past the Venetian blinds, you know, of his of his yeah. hotel room. And yeah, just so, so many wonderful moments. You use the word unique to describe it. And I'm, I totally agree. I, I'm, I'm really glad that, A, that George Lazenby was in the role and also that it, it ended up being a one-off because of the, of course, of the original Fleming content. I think it's, it, to me, it's obviously the most emotional story maybe with Casino Royale a close second in that regard but but I'm I'm kind of glad that it is just this sort of self-contained jewel-like film that isn't you know it doesn't have any connections with any of the other ones I, yeah. I'm really glad that Diamonds Are Forever ended up not being a direct follow-on so mm. yeah it's a great film had your husband seen it before then? Yeah, he'd seen it, I think maybe only once before. When we first we first started going out, of course, I like subjected to him like uh, subjected to, to all the films, you know, sequentially. And we we had a we would have like an evening where we'd, you know, we'd make uh make Indian food for watching Octopussy or, you know, yes. have have takeaway sushi for You Only Live Twice and made <laughs> made little occasions of it. But um so he had seen it before, but I think um he hadn't seen it in a very long time. Yeah, he was he was really surprised, and it was kind of fun, like I said, to sort of re-experience it through somebody who you know didn't have every frame memorized. I think one thing that I feel a bit sorry for George for was the the dubbing of his voice, you know, for Hilary Bray. I, I mean, I've I've grown up with it; I'm used to it, and it just about works. But it's a bit weird now, you know. Like I show it to Jennifer, and she's you know she's probably not seen it before, like. It's quite a dated thing. You'd never get it now, would you? And apparently, he didn't know that that had been done until he saw he saw the premiere. So that was a bit jarring for him, I think. Oh wow! I that wow, that would that would be. I mean, I'm thinking that that'd be up there with like Julie Rogers. Oh seeing yes, her, her song didn't make it into You Only Live Twice. You know, what I mean, to have a surprise yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. the film at the premiere of that time. At least it's pretty standard for either people to be caught and not told or. Our voice dubbing, which we we know. I mean, Nicky Van der Sill, I mean, it, you know, Bond's unsung hero f- for the masses, yeah. at least anyway, did a lot. And but you know, if it's necessary, it's necessary. And I think if they really thought that his voice was not great for that, that his accent wasn't good, then I'm fine with replacing. I think it would have been nice to be told. But I guess by the time you get to the post production of this, then it's kind of like I don't know how their the relationship was after filming. And what was going on between Lazenby and the producers? I can imagine that they, 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 might, they might not have told him anyway. But it's just one of those things. But I mean, I think with that, you know, he did try to do the accident, and what at least you can give to him and, and to the others. But I think to George is that he did really want it, and he he did try. You know, he with in some yeah. some extreme means. You you might say some absolutely out of this world means as well, like to even try to have a chance of getting this role but he got it and he worked very hard and you see it you know in in his physicality and um, all the and all the things he was willing to do he wanted to do the skiing bought the insurance and all of that so yeah i mean you've got to hand it to him in for that point some effort in good evening sir hillary good evening balthazar count de blowjob if you'll forgive me that's what i'm here to find out mm. to confirm sir hillary there can be no doubt of the truth please sit down if there were no doubt, I'm sure the College of Arms would not have sent me. Well, since you are here, I'll make everything very plain to you. You are right. I mean, the amount of dubbing that, that went on with the women. I'd love to hear the, the master tapes of Domino and some of these, <laughs> you know, yeah, just, so just Sylvia. the voices. Right? It's annoying yeah, so you, we... you, hear, you hear their actual voices in trailers, 
and so yeah, it's really yeah. jarring. And that was still happening. You, it, I mean, you hear. Goldfinger. Yeah. 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 Well, in, in in Living Daylights, with the woman in the pre-title sequence, her oh, voice is different in a trailer. Yeah. yeah. Her voice is different in the trailer than it is in the film. You know, there's it's it's crazy. You know, <laughs> what what happens and and how, what those differences are. But I love hearing the original voices. I think it's just so. It's like hearing a part of history that you shouldn't be yeah. listening to. You shouldn't be subject to. Part of the sub thing we from our interview with Marguerite Lawors from Doctor No. You know, she goes into the details of why her voice was dubbed, and it, yeah. what it, because you, I suppose you expect the actors then, especially the female ones, that loads of them were dubbed, but hers is a you know won't go into it now, but it's worth worth listening to that. But yeah, in, in terms of the legacy of Honor Majesties, like you say, it's only getting bigger and bigger, and I'm glad that you know, obviously, if Peter wasn't around to sort of fully appreciate that, but George is and. I mean, what must he be thinking when he's seeing No Time to Die? You know, it really is a love letter in many ways, isn't it, to the film? So you can't have a bigger turnaround of any film in the Bond franchise. There's no way, I don't think. No, I, I think it, it, it's good that it's getting the recognition. I think, you know, disregarding all the, just the Bond stuff anyway, I think just as a piece of filmmaking, it is, yeah. you know, it's. I think everyone on that film really deserves, you know, applause because... I just think it's so beautiful. I think this, some of those shots, and I've 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 gone on about it before, but you know, one of my favorite sequences is the journey to to his Gloria, and oh. just ev- everything about that scene. And I know when we were like, well, actually, you didn't get there for that bit, Tom. You got there at the end of Cue the Music, but they played a whole suite of Honor Majesty's songs, and they played Journey to Blofeld's Hideaway, and literally, I almost cried because it was yeah. just it. To hear that piece of music live, and it's one of my favorite pieces of of music, just ever. Anyway, it was just marvelous, and so I can only imagine going to his Gloria, having the experience of being there, just adds is is at a complete other level. There's so much from this that that hits you. You know, they pits the best locations, the I think the best underrated director. You know, great cast, the John Barry excellence you know there's it is difficult to fault it's very very difficult to fault and i don't want to fault it george is the only thing that people yeah. sort of you know oh it would have been even better if sean was in or it would you know he's the only weak link in it and i really don't i can't i can understand why people say that but particularly he's acting at the end you know cradling tracy hmm. it's difficult to, to imagine anybody else doing that and i he's on his own for that we said before you know they deliberately gave him all these amazing actors to sort of work the scenes around but that ending is, is George on his own with a really moving performance, I think. Anyway, you have given me a wedding present. The best I could have. The future. Mrs. Bond, shut up. And don't eat it all at once. He loves me. Instinctively. Infuriatingly. Intensely. In. 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 In? Indubitably. <laughs> First a boy and then a girl. It's Blofeld. It's Blofeld. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I think it is a really moving, moving performance. I think watching it, watching it this last time, I was, I was struck by like how it, it's, it's bookended by the, you know, the, the, the opening scene, you know, where she, yeah. she steals the car and drives it back to where her yeah. cougar is parked, and then, you know, gets in her car and drives away, you know, and then, and then her life ends in that same car. Gosh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, I, I, I don't know. What there is about that that just struck me. Uh, also, also, the fact that she's he's chasing her into a body of water, and then arguably she she comes and rescues him over a body of water. She's skating across the ice, to, you yeah. know, to him when he's he's at his lowest point when he's hit bottom. Just 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 seeing that, and I, I I don't know. It was just the emotional arc of the film just really struck me this last time. And and I think I think he does a really wonderful job. Just generally, just going back to just generally describing his acting. I mean, I said I I, I really consider his performance to be understated in the best possible way. I, I think his performance is very consistent throughout the film. You know, uh, for for somebody who wasn't an experienced actor, there's a deliberateness and a consistency to his to his performance that I think is 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 very laudable. And yes, again, I, I find that the scene at the end I just find very moving. Just listening to you there now, these are themes that I perhaps didn't quite appreciate, that the moving over water and all that. Because it is an instant, it's just a, a film that rewards you every time you see it. And you, I don't know, I could never get, I can never sort of get bored of it. I just, I just find it hits me every time that, you know, it's coming, of course you do every time. But the journey to get there to that point becomes more sad every time I watch it. And you see their relationship develop. And I know she's not in it for like quite a long time, is she? In the middle, in the middle, sort of act again. It's that he he does go back for her at, at the end, doesn't he? There's no he doesn't have to 
to go back to Peace Gloria. Underrated, really, that Roger does that inspire love me, but you know, it's, it's quite it's quite a romantic film, isn't it? So to go back to uh, <laughs> the Atlantis for <laughs> hello, I'm Gilka Boshenko from Moonraker, and you're listening to really double zero seven. Roger's debut in Live and Let Die came not next, of course. Dimes Are Forever was next, and gosh, I'd love to talk about that for another ten hours because it's uh, it's it's we've got a real fondness, I think, all three of us for that film, and we'll be talking about it many more many more times. <laughs> we'll be getting more rewards from it, and yeah, like I mentioned, David's David and Tom Mason's video is well worth catching on the the different things that have come. But Live and Let Die, it almost it had to be Roger, didn't it? By this time, I don't think. Anybody else was seriously in the frame. I've got a load of names here who were, you know, they asked loads of people. Apparently, they even asked Clint Eastwood, Stephen Queen, Paul Newman, because they thought about this. They were trying to get a more American sort of theme to it. And in those films, you can see from Diamonds Are Forever, the the, the Tom Mankiewicz ones are a bit more American, aren't they? And they're, they're set there, and there's there's a lot more sort of Americanisms in them. I'm not having a go, Charlie. I'm not saying that's good or bad. Oh, I'm... <laughs> I think it would have been terrible. I'm glad they didn't. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're all glad they got Roger. I'd, there's a bit of trivia that I didn't know. Technically, Roger Moore made his debut as Bond in 1964. Has, has anyone heard this before? I think, I feel like I have. Is it that, was there an, a few minutes of either an episode or, or, or some other shorts where yes. he's like yeah. being him? And it's, it's yeah, it a sketch. Yeah, apparently. yeah. Oh, wow. Comedy sketch show called Mainly Millicent's. Don't, never heard of that. He's meant to be James Bond. He's on holiday and he goes out for lunch only to meet another spy, a lady called Sonia Sokova, but she's also on holiday. So the sketch is them thinking the other one is spying on them, but they're both actually on holiday and it's all a bit of a joke. It's, it's a spoof, but technically he was meant to be Bond in that. Perhaps Monsieur would like to take drinks on the pet you? Yes. That's quite a nice little casino you've got there. Uh, a nice secluded corner. Over there, Mr. Bond? Yes, well, I uh, am on holiday. Thank you. Yes, Mr. Smith. Oh, oh. Yes, and I'm 007, as if you didn't know. James Bond, what are you doing at my hotel? And what may I ask is Sonia Slagova, Russia's master spy, doing staying at my hotel. <laughs> why have you come to spy on me? I might ask you the same question. You mean you don't know why you've come to spy on me? Typical British intelligence, muddled through as usual. Oh, you Russians always were a little thick in the head. If you're here to spy on me, you must know that I'm on holiday. Oh, don't give me that. James Bond is never on holiday. Everybody knows that. Besides, I haven't come to spy on you. Well, if you're not here to spy on me, you must be here to spy on somebody else. And if you're here to spy on somebody else, I'll have to spy on you to find out who you're spying on. Couldn't you have gone to Omsk? I'm not spying on anybody. I also am on holiday. Yeah, I mean, he was forever linked. As you, There's rumours that Ian Fleming he had him in mind because I think he knew him. Uh, very briefly, this is back in you know in the sixties for for originally. I think it's always nice that Sean and Roger were close friends. Sean takes the mick out of Roger's films a bit that they're just gone completely ridiculous by the time it's Moonraker. They're not really what I signed up for, but the two of them are always great friends. And Roger pokes fun at his films, so I, I, I love their relationship. And you know the two absolute titans of Bond, aren't they? But he was forty five when he was chosen, so he was the eldest Bond to make his debut. I think his main gripe 
uh, was having to lose. He had to. He was told to lose weight, get in shape, and cut his hair, <laughs> which was uh, you know a new thing for him because I think he was doing the persuaders then, wasn't he? And it was a uh, probably the longest it had been. We've got to say that he looks so good, doesn't he? In Live and Let Die, he he really does. He's just it's it's one of these Bond films where it's such an assured entrance that you barely notice it. And I think that's the biggest compliment I'd give to it because it isn't the fully-fledged Roger of Spy, Love Me and Moonraker where he's sort of almost a parody of Bond at times, which I love. As he goes on, he gets more and more the greatest hits of Roger, I think. But at this time, I still don't think it's trying to be Connery in this film. I think it's just easing my way into Bond where there's a lot of colourful characters around me and I'm just the audience's journey through that. But also extremely charming, extremely likable, funny, and pretty brutal at times, which is is one of the things Roger does well that he doesn't perhaps get enough credit for. I still, when I watch the film now, and it's, how many years is it? It's, 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 well, it, it's it'll be 50, it's 50, 50 years. Yeah, it's yeah, 50 yeah. years this year. Crazy. I still remember the feeling of seeing some of those scenes for the first time. It really, it really made a big big impression on me it's it's funny you mentioned about about that it wasn't trying to be sean connery or that it wasn't written for him to to be sean connery in the film actually yeah. i think in a, in a way if you told me that man with the golden gun was his first film i would have believed that in an instant because i think in that film it's almost like he's trying to be more more like connery in that film yeah definitely and 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 also the fact that um there's so many kind of weird tonal shifts in that film <laughs> that, that it, 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 in a way, it almost feels like an actor trying to struggle to define, yeah, you, know, you know, with the writers, of course, and everything else. But, but like the struggle for somebody to to, to find their interpretation of the character. So yeah. you know, so Live and Let Die is is such a confident first film for him, and and Man with a Golden Gun just weirdly seems like it's his awkward debut in the role, uh, and just, you know, weirdly that it's his, his second film, but yeah, it was, that that was an amazing experience seeing that movie, uh, and it, and it, uh, yeah, I was, I was a Bond fan from that moment on, and I think, uh, I think the supernatural themes in it really appealed to me as well, the, the, uh, oh, yeah. you know, the tarot cards, and the, uh, you know, the Baron Samadhi character, and I didn't know at the time, but reading since about the Duvaliers and Haiti and how Papa Doc Duvalier tried to create the impression that he was an incarnation of Baron Samadhi to terrify his followers and that that actually that actually was occurring after Fleming wrote the book. And Good I may have that, I may have that wrong, but I think it 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 it's, wow. it strikes me as sort of life imitates art. But uh, yeah. um, that dimension of the film always found I always found very, very compelling that supernatural. Uh, the supernatural yeah. sort of themes in the film. I'm also a big horror movie fan. The overlap for me is Man with the Golden Gun with with uh, Christopher Lee because I'm a big fan of his. Oh yeah, Hammer, Hammer yeah. Dracula films and, yeah. and you know, so many of which were shot in Black Park. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not but, Transylvania. <laughs> but Live and Let Live and Let Die is definitely, I think, the closest thing to a Bond horror film that we've had so far. That's another reason why I really like it a lot. But yeah, Roger Moore uh, is 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 that the first. I know technically Bond is not in the opening, the pre-title sequence for From Russia no. with Love because it's a Russian agent impersonating him. Is this the was this the first pre-title sequence without Bond? Completely, yeah. There's there's yeah. no visual representation of him at all. Right, which I was you know I was thinking about in terms of introducing the new actor. Yeah, it's a, it's a daring choice 
in itself. I mean, that you have a PTS without Bond. I thought it was an interesting choice. I think it works really well. You know, the the first glimpse that you see of him is waking up and you know looking at his digital his his red digital yeah. watch. Had one of those in school in in uh, high school. The red LED numerals, uh, and then you know where he's he's uh, waking up next to Maddie Smith. It's a very understated you know debut scene, and you know with the the scene in his apartment, his sort of strange apartment with its you know framed nautical prints and the and the uh, and the that crazy kitchen with all the yeah. with all the copper pots. So some interesting choices I thought uh, for his debut scene, but I think it I think it does work really well. Good morning, Double Seven. Good morning. Insomnia, sir? Instructions. You haven't much time. I'll explain as you pack. Uh, pack, sir? Three of our agents have been killed during the last 24 hours. Dawes in New York, Hamilton in New Orleans, and Baines in the Caribbean. Oh, Baines. I rather like Baines. We shared the same bootmaker. Uh, coffee? Sir? It's pretty refreshing, I think, to start with the story, you know, to to really show you this voodoo world and these you're instantly like, wow, this is a bit scary. It's pretty scary as a kid, that snake biting that guy. And then, of mm -hmm. course, you get, you know, one of the best songs ever written probably to, to, that follows it. So you, you're already – I know people often say that's one of the worst pre-title sequences, but I'm sure that's probably because it's, it's quite short and Bond's not in it and there's – there's other ones that are even better, but I think it works for this. It's almost a bit, this might sound weird, it's a bit like a, an episode of you know a detective series or even the X-Files where the first thing you see before the intro is is the mystery, isn't it? This is like <laughs> the death of somebody. And then the next scene after the titles is Mulder and Scully or the detective sort of learning about this thing. And he gets woken up at night, doesn't he, Bond? It's, it's a very Roger introduction in the... It's quite laid back. It's humorous. He's with a lady, and uh, yeah, he's, he's trying to trying to not get caught. But Sam, you know, when you started, uh, you know, way ago, long ago, when we started this, you mentioned that you there was one Bond intro that you were a little bit, yeah. Is this it? I mean, I mean, th this is it, and it's not even the case that I don't like it because I absolutely love it. Yeah, but you put them, you put them all side by side. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and you you just you. You instantaneously just go. One of these is not like the other, and it's it is yeah. this one, and it's yeah. and yeah. it's not even that it's bad. It's just that you know it's much more understated than any of the others. It does focus on the story. It does the complete opposite of what they were doing in Honor Majesties, with you know really putting the focus on oh who is Bond and and whatnot. Yeah. Which I think for the time is is absolutely the best idea to not do a cloak and dagger thing like that again people are like oh just let's just get down to it so for what it is and what it does for the film i'm absolutely fine with it but i just think if we're talking about intros and what's you know kind of what sticks out this sticks out but just for being very good but it's you're not getting anything too death defying here here or anything like that not that i need that but yeah you just you just see it for what it is but i i love it and yeah i no one's gonna appreciate this apart from youtube but you know i've I, i've got the video oh yes so it's that front which, cover as well. even that scared me so bear in mind i was four or five when i saw this so scary as as hell like the front cover you see baron smeddy and spikes next to bond which is scary enough. And then you get a pre-title sequence that has someone be electrocuted to death by it. Yes, it's horrible. A funeral that turns out to be the person that we're supposedly 
I would hope that we were going to root for dying yeah. and then no one knowing about it. And then someone being strapped up and killed by a snake and you just go, oh, okay, this is freaky. And then you get a title sequence where women's faces turn to skulls. And you go, what is going on? And as a kid, yeah. it's terrifying, absolutely terrifying. But it sticks with you and you later appreciate it so much because it's 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 a really fun journey. And what I'll say about Roger, I think him and Pierce those two i would say are the fun bonds where yeah. i feel like their films have heavy moments but on the whole they're, they're mostly it, i feel like it's it's bond having a good time and i think roger's kind yeah. of like the the peak of that and i think that's partially why you know i would consider him my bond and you know part of it is because i watched i had three of his films as a kid but it's because his films are just a lot of fun and I would in my preferred version of Bond, it's not about being close to the novel. It's not about doing things very seriously. I like, I love the serious moments, but I like how bombastic and weird it can get. Yes. And how someone can go from making a joke and, you know, being at a casino, you know, trying it on whatever. And then suddenly in a gunfight or suddenly, you know, in an absolutely you know perilous situation and Roger does everything. You know, we were saying about the Professor Dent scene and, you know, about people testing with that, wanting to get the serious side of people. You know, Roger doesn't get too many, but when he, he can do it, and I think that's, you know, what the, what most people don't, I would say, remember about Roger. Yeah. They just think of him for his performance in The Spy Who Loved Me and maybe Moonraker and A View to a Kill, but I think people forget about, general audiences, I mean, will forget about how serious he is in, in his first two for your eyes only an octopusy about you know how dark he can be. I think he's a great choice. I think I was so surprised when I first heard that it, that he was you know in his mid forties because I thought he was way younger than that. I, because then I'm like wow because as a kid I was like wow he really ages. When I finally like saw all of his films I was like wow he really ages really quickly. This is so weird. Um, <laughs> but it's just he looks really really good at at forty five. Like he looks excellent and. You know, despite what I said about his intro, I love when it's after the title sequence, you just see his face in bed and it's like, okay, this begins. And then you see his weird flat that looks like it's his version of the TARDIS. Um, it's <laughs> just a little bit mad. And then he's got Miss Caruso and she's hilarious and Money Penny and M's there. And it's like, what is going on here? Um, and that's what I love about Live and Let Die. It's like, I think it's like 11th in my ranking. It's like, just misses the top 10 but it's it's an absolute classic and i think it's probably best that they did continue on with kind of what they were doing with diamonds but kind of roll it back and go right let's what classic bond elements can we throw in here and so i think it's a nice blend of trying to do what they did with dot snow and from which we've love but with what at that time would be the modern twist which would be kind of the more uh comedic and over the top moments from Diamonds Are Forever. So I think as a, as a story, it's, it's, it is really good. But Charlie said about the scarecrows and they were absolutely the thing I never wanted to see. So scary. This, I mean, this film is a scary one. I would not recommend it for kids. I mean, I would, I would love for kids to see it just to get the scared reactions, but it's, yeah. it's, it's not one that I would recommend for someone so early, especially not four or five when I first watched it, which was definitely... Maybe not the best idea of my dad's, but I mean, I'm still here, um, still talking about <laughs> it. I'm still loving it. It is. I think of all his seven, you could say if you had to pick an odd one out, it could be this one. Even though it's the first one, it's the it's like the 
the weirdest and the most perhaps where Bond isn't in on the joke with everything. And I know I know he isn't we said you're saying Sam that he isn't remembered of course for the dark moments and he, but he does have them occasionally but I think maybe apart from Moonraker he's pretty much got one in every film hasn't he? Mm. He's got a really dark moment when he when he's confronting Rosie and I'll kill you if you don't. I remember that I was pretty like what? Bond could just kill her in cold blood here now and I did believe that he would. And he, he is he's <laughs> I mean, it's pretty inappropriate what he's doing with Solitaire, isn't it? For the mission, yeah. for the mission, lads. But it's not great, is it? And she's vulnerable, and she's very young. <laughs> I mean, I, I would, I would say that, that that you know, I don't agree with it. But Bond's not. I don't look at Bond and go, "That's who I want to be," and that's you know what yeah. what the greatest guy in the world. That's the perfect guy. Because no. he's absolutely not. And you know, no, I think not. if anyone believes that you know he is the best person in the world, then I would. Question morality just a little bit, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's why you need, you need a flawed character, and he's definitely flawed. Yeah, gosh, he is. Ch- uh, Charlie, what what did you make of? I don't know, Roger. Roger's sort of style as Bond. I know, you, of course, we've said that he is possibly our favourite. So this was the first time you'd seen James Bond. You had nothing else to compare it with, because that that's no. interesting. Yeah, very. Yeah, the very first first exposure yeah. to Bond. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think that. In the past, I would have said that that you know again maybe there are some like tonal issues in some of his films. Like like when I think about Moonraker, <laughs> you know the, the the fact that Corrine's demise, you know the being torn apart by vicious dogs, you know is like is like in the yeah. middle of this crazy fever dream of a movie. In in a, in a way, I kind of feel about uh, Roger's performance sometimes the same way that he'll be involved in these absurd situations like the you know like the Saint Mark's you know gondola. Yeah. You know the sequence, and you know, but then, but then he'll have really intense moments, like like kicking the car off the cliff in For Your Eyes Only. And I think, I think he does. I think in a way, he's he's sort of the comical aspects of 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 the scripts that he's he's the most successful at sort of playing the widest range of tones. You know, yep. in the film. Yep. Uh, I mean, I think he, he he pulls off the comical stuff really well. I mean, they're they're very enjoyable scenes. However, you know, sort of outlandish and silly they. They might seem, but but he's just so invested in them, and he 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 does them so so beautifully. I can't imagine any of the other the other actors, you know, pulling pulling that off. I think only Roger Moore could have could could have done that kind of dramatic to comedic range. So I think I mean I I love I love Roger the films. I mean again these like his set of set of films. I mean I think Live and Let Die, Man with the Gold, and The Spy Love Me are three of my top top films. Um, oh, really? I, I, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I'm outspoken in my love for the Man with the Golden Gun, and I, I think it's definitely in my top ten. I mean, I'm not these things are fluid, aren't they? And I love nearly all of them, so it doesn't it doesn't matter too much. But yeah, I, I just I do love the the different tones. I love it doesn't make any sense to me, but that's why I love Octopussy because it's so messed up. You know, one minute it's deadly serious, the next it's really silly. Even within the same exact scene, never mind one scene to the next. Mm-hmm. And it just somehow works. I don't, and Roger's got to be a big part of that, I think. I, I do think Sean can do it. Sean Sean can get both. And certainly, we'll go on to Pierce. He can do both very, very well. Going back to what you said, Sam, as well, the age thing. When you grow up with them all on video and you, you don't know what order they were in, and because this is there's no real introduction to Bond, it's just I just assumed he was Bond at the same time as Sean and they did maybe did them at the same time. 
and that because obviously Roger's slightly older, wasn't he, than than Shaw? The only indicator you have is, oh yeah, actually, he does look quite young in that compared to a View to a Kill. That's that's all I had. There was well, nothing yeah. else. That's why this was the first one. No, exactly that. Which is why you know, again, when I've when I watched the View to a Kill, my dad said, "Oh yeah, this is his last one." I legit thought it was the yeah. last Bond film because he looks old, and I'm like, "Oh well, he looks older than that Bond who's on telly the other night, which yeah, yeah. Rob Brosnan or whatever." I think there's just there's a lot of naivety when you don't <laughs> actually know when you actually don't really know what's going yeah. on, but you're just kind of looking at something on one level which is absolutely fine. But then I think that's the great thing about about learning more and kind of being invested, talking with other people. And I think especially with, with everything that's happened, you know, the past few years and this kind of fandom growing is that you can really kind of understand what you were feeling, why you might have felt that way towards a certain film or actor or whatnot. And I think, you know, I think everyone loves Roger anyway. I know like he had his detractors maybe, you know, at the beginning. I, I know there was kind of like the that American audiences didn't warm to him initially, that there was a worry that they wouldn't get the profits from the cinemas there that they did with Connery. And I think it's always a risk, but I think now, again, in retrospect, which I, I think is a great thing about about something like this is to look back. We've already said about Honor Majesty's, but you see the love. And I think for in the UK, I think most people, I don't think anyone's ever said a bad word about, about Roger Moore. I think apart from like my mum, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, yeah. And that's just her personal taste that she she's not a fan of Roger Moore as Bond. Like, I think everyone knows how how charismatic he was. And you could see that outside of Bond in his you know interviews and other films that he did and other TV shows. He's so lovable. I think, and I, I, I think you just drawn to him because no matter how serious he gets or what story he's in, whether you think it's good or bad, it's always nice to see him at the end, like with a smile on his face, and oh, um, yeah. and just kind of like setting off mission accomplished. We'll get the next one in a couple of years' time or, or something. But yeah, yeah, him in Living Let Die, you know, he's he's trying. He is a bit more serious um, throughout, and you can see. I love, I love when they're in the. Ali in New York and he's he's joking yeah. but he's like he's like okay I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna knock this down and like I love that he's that he's always thinking in this and he's always getting out of something in great ways whether it's that whether it's by jumping across crocodiles speedboats oh. you know the, his watch I mean there's 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 so much to love about about this film outside of of Roger but he really pulls it together and I think you know after we've said about man with the golden gun he really makes the role his own and sets it off properly not that these were false starts um at all but i'm glad that we got to the point where he is comfortable completely that broccoli's comfortable with him and that they're like right let's let's keep going and they go on for another another decade yeah he did what he needed to do and you know one of the longest serving actors as well you know and you've got to give him a lot of credit for doing that you know he could he had that i think he had a four-year contract i think at first off yes, yeah, which, yeah. which which you know makes sense age-wise i think you could have ended it after four and it, he could have been you know happy with what he did but clearly you know he came back again and again and that and that's really nice that he and you see it in that interview with with uh cubby all that behind the scenes of review to a kill where where they both sat down and, and he's got a cigar and he's like and they asked me why I, why I wanted to, I wanted to do another Bond film, and they're holding hands, and I, I think that's really oh, lovely, and we love seeing that. Obviously, there was always tension with Sean and money, and it was usually money, wasn't it? I don't think it was personalities mm. particularly, but there was that understanding with Cubby that 
Roger would always hold out for more money. And they did screen test other actors to just sort of call his bluff, didn't they? Mm. But there was always the understanding that he would never be dropped by them. He would always be their number one. They'd always want him to come back. It was Roger's decision in the end, definitely, to, to end with A View to a Kill. Unlike Pierce, which we'll, we'll get onto, and a lot of fallout over that. But if, yeah, I I can, think- if I can throw in a word for a favorite thing to live and let die, and for me, it's I, I, oh, I'm please, thinking yeah. of like when I feel like Roger Moore really he makes the role his own is is the scene where he arrives at his uh, hotel room in San Monique. And Sam, what you were saying about his, you know, that that he's issued these gadgets that serve him, like you know, the watch. But then he also improvises in that scene. He's you know he starts out by you know contacting headquarters presumably with his what was it the uh, little oh, yeah. horse coach in the hairbrush or, or yeah, and, yeah. Know, investigating the room for bugs and and but then when he's in the he's in the bathtub and and then you know he's he's threatened by the snake and then he improvises the the flamethrower with the uh the can of uh, cologne or whatever it is shaving cream or you know and the and the cigar uh and that's to me that was a wonderful sort of a encapsulating his role in that he he has these you know he's issued these gadgets and then but he's also just really smart thinking on his feet and improvising and and he plays that whole that whole scene wonderfully you know up to through rosie's arrival and yeah so i i felt that was a that that's a really great sequence that that for me really really sort of heralds his his arrival in the role the cia have been informed when they're helping up with the surveillance your flight arrives at 11 30 a.m now but i need my coat oh oh allow me Thank you. Come along, Miss Moneypenny. Morning, Bond. Sir, Miss Moneypenny. Thank you. Goodbye, James. Or should I say, ciao, Siamo soli. Finalmente. Such a delicate touch. Sheer magnetism, One character who featured heavily in Roger Moore's debut was a, a certain sheriff of Louisiana. <laughs> now... <laughs> He was key, wasn't he, in Roger Moore's <laughs> reign? <laughs> and he was so successful that they followed him up in the second film. Basically, this is a, just a chance to, to talk about J.D.B. Pepper, as if we needed one. We've talked about him enough on this show. But Charlie, what, what's it like for you as a, as a fellow American? Is he a good representation of uh, the American South? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's a crazy character. I've never really been 100% sure how I felt about him. I mean, he, Clifton James does an amazing job of the role. And and I think he the, the character works really well in the story of the first of the of Live and Let Die. You know, of course it's utterly baffling as to why he would turn up in Thailand in the in the next film, but <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's the the whole the fact that you know, Live and Let Die it's fairly faithful to the to to the book as far as the way that it incorporates the African American characters and I think yeah. I don't I don't really have a problem with the way 
that that representation you know occurs but I, I i guess i guess maybe it's the sort of the trope of the bigoted southern white sheriff that that had had already been in or was in other you know television and movies at around the same time where where it just i yeah it's a bit uncomfortable usually i'm not on the side of racist uh, southern uh, police officers <laughs> however on this occasion based on what the character is and how just terrible he is at his job um it is it, it's a great thing although it does feel like live and let die featuring an interlude with sheriff jw pepper yeah if i look at it objectively i'm like this is really weird is this why they stretched out the boat chase for so long but then i always go back to subjective and just go well i actually really love the boat chase and i really like him in this film so why am i complaining and so i end up shutting up and just watching it i mean i have to say that that I think the dialogue in um, in these in like Dams Are Forever, Living Like Dying, The Man with the Golden Gun is is very very good, and he gets some cracking lines, some awful lines as well, uh, things that I won't say. But I mean, Secret Agent on whose side <laughs> is is, is <laughs> yeah. one of the best ones. Um, I really I feel <laughs> sorry for anyone who's living in the apartment above or side to side of me for having to hear that. <laughs> but yeah, no, Clifton James is great, and I'm really happy he's in this. I'm probably even more happy that he's in The Man with the Golden Gun. Some people don't like that more so than this, and that's absolutely fine. I get it. He's in Thailand. It's very random for this character. <laughs> Gives him more, you know, racial slurs to throw out. But in what he's doing, it's great. But I think Live and Let Die is a weird one because you do have, again, conflicting tones. I think there's ma- it's actually more Bond films than I realize that have such weird juxtaposing tones throughout. And maybe that's why I like him so much because it really is. It goes from okay, well, yeah, this this woman's been eaten by dogs, and oh, okay, well, now there's now there's a gondola, you know, like going for the you know the streets of Venice, and it's like okay, sure, you know, this one you have a woman shot by scarecrows that scare the living daylights out of you, and then you get J.W. Pepper in a car crash and the same F and. Talking about Billy Bob, who is certainly not Billy Bob. Yeah. <laughs> but no, no, I have no complaints. Uh, no complaints about this at all. Well, and I think something else for me is that is that the 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 African American characters in the movie are generally shown to be really effective. You know, I mean Kananga, I think, is a really scary, effective villain. Yeah. yeah. And and his 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 hench people are generally really effective. And Sheriff J.D. Bay Pepper is just shown to be an absolute ridiculous buffoon. So, you know, so the I the, the the way that the the characters sort of agency and effectiveness are portrayed to me diffuses a lot of the the sort of discomfort with 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 the, the sort of stereotypes. But uh, yeah, and 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 Sam, yeah, I mean, I love him and Man with the Golden Gun. Don't get me yeah. wrong, wouldn't change a thing. I just I just think it's it's just hilarious that and so improbable that he would he and his wife would turn up there on vacation. But but uh, <laughs> you know, but. It's it's a fantasy, right? What was the the in, you mentioned, um, Tom? You mentioned Denise Richards. You know, come back uh, about the probability of her being in the role of a nuclear physicist or, or something. You know, in the uh, and yeah, and her her response is, you know, it's a fantasy. It's like yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Probably not that much of a need to sort of pick it apart or justify it. I mean, it's 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 he's there and he's fun. So yeah. You know. Says a lot about what we think, doesn't it? Or we shouldn't expect a woman who looks like that to, to have enough brains, maybe. And we'll defend we'll defend Denise Richards till till the cows well, come home. Well, this is the thing. as a as a kid, like as a kid, I would I never thought, oh, she couldn't be 
this. No, it was great. only it was it was only when you get older and you start hearing you start actually reading reviews and hearing other people's opinions and go, oh right, okay, that's a bit weird because I just never thought that. I think a lot of that kind of thing is is one person says something, another person goes, oh yeah, I agree with that, and they don't actually think it themselves. I do think there's a bit of my mentality, and I think that happens with. It's not just a Denise Richards Christmas Jones thing. I have, and that happens across the board. I like the idea. I like the idea of the globe trying adventures of J.W. Pepper just going to this country and that. Like his his wife's just like, well, I just looked at this here holiday uh, brochure and I just saw this exotic sounding place called London. I, I had no <laughs> idea. Like, not to be like that, but it does think that it, London, does England. Make- England, like, but it does make it seem like she's just opened up a brochure, gone. Oh, there's a place called Thailand. Maybe yeah. we should just go here. I'm just going to book this, not tell him, and just say we're going away. Maybe, that's maybe how I uh, imagine yeah. it in my mind. But again, it's uh, you can't. T- I don't think you should ever take a Bond film 100 percent seriously on what it is, because I mean there are things that would never ever happen. While or once in a billion trillion or whatever something dots evil related yeah. as you know mentioned a lot in the thunderball review if you've not listened to it listen to it there you go yeah free advertising so thank you that's what i'm here <laughs> Tom, that's what i'm here because all the bonds are, are aspirational to an extent they're all like wow that guy's cool i'd love to be him i'd love to wear his clothes go to these places and be bond but i think what roger has off on the edges the edge on them is that you want to be friends with him don't you you re- you really want to sort of know the guy off screen as well, and I bet he was so much fun. And I know a lot of all of them apparently are are great fun off screen. And we've seen Timothy Dalton when he's recent interviews. He just seems like a completely different guy, doesn't he? So the ones he did when he was Bond, and he's obviously older and there's less pressure on him now. But with Roger, he's just so laid back, and he, he just takes the mick out of himself all the time. He's he's obviously very humble in terms of his acting ability, and you know that perhaps he's been his own worst enemy in sort of discounting himself. Because now, you know, of course, Daniel Craig will get any kind of role he wants of any kind of genre, probably. And he he, he is taken seriously as, a, as in inverted commas, a serious actor. But Roger never went down that route, did he? I think he was just happy being Bond because who wouldn't be, you know, and he, he didn't feel any pressure to sort of do. I know he did like The Man Who Haunted Himself and everything, but it's not like he, he went for sort of Oscar baits, did he? And not, you know, Spice not, World. Well, the yeah. Spice World is, you know, Piesta Resistance. We've got to do an episode on that at some point. Well, what you say about his, his self-deprecating humor, I think, is so yes. true. I mean, in in, uh, in interviews. And then um, uh, your, your interview with John Moreno was so wonderful. It was wonderful meeting him and, and hearing his yeah. story, which was amazing. But also what he said about Roger uh, behind the, you know, behind the scenes, like, you know, with the strategy for coping with the sphere of heights going up in the cable yeah. car. The, it's a wonderful anecdote and it, it seems to, f- to really fit in with, with other things that I've heard about him. And I think abs- you're absolutely right. It would be, he's, he's the bond that I'd love to have a drink with. And it did, it hit me so hard when he died. I, it, I know it sounds ridiculous when you never met him, but he's almost like a sort of granddad figure to me, you know, like a, by the time he was old, I'll just, he did remind me a bit of my granddad, mm. but the way he'd been part of our childhood and just looking up to him as your hero. And I mean, you know, it was, it was similar with Sean, but Roger, I think you felt more because it was just, it, particularly as he was still in the light, you know, he was still around. Sean had obviously retired and he, he loves sort of being out of the, the, the scenes. And Roger was, do, he's so good with the fans, wasn't he? You know, he just, and I think that's even the sort of diehard Fleming Easters, they, might have a go at him because his films are the least Fleming, but they still won't have a bad word against the guy because 
goodness me, he was committed to the role, wasn't he? And he is a great ambassador for the series. It all started in, with Live and Let it Die, and amazing that he, we got seven films out of him and we can watch them. Black Queen on the Red King, Miss... Solitaire. My name's Bond. James Bond. I know who you are, what you are, and why you have come. You have made a mistake. You will not succeed. Rather a sweeping statement, considering we've never met. The cards have followed you for me. Now you get ripped off in Detroit, baby. You yell out to me. You hear? Is he armed? Can't be too careful in New York City these days. <laughs> Funny how the least little thing amuses him. Fascinating. Well, that's you quite obviously, a, an amazing resemblance. Tommy, am I in there as well? Pick a card. Turn it over. You have found yourself. That's the end of part one of our look at the best Bond debuts. But join us for part two, where we look at Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig, and look to who could be the next one to make their Bond debut. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.